Happened in the 90s. Matt was the fat kid, Steve was the flat kid. Life wasn't always great, but you know what was? The 90s. Happened in the 90s. Yeah! Professional plumbers on Professional Strength Liquid Plumber. All liquid drain openers are not the same. The thin stuff dilutes in water. But the thick stuff goes through the water, clings to the hair clad, and gets it to move on down the line. The best liquid drain opener is in the gray bottle. Professional Strength Liquid Plumber. Why the fuck? We made, we, it's a hundred episodes, and we can do whatever we want now. It's One hundo. That's crazy. Bye-bye, double digits. Bye-bye. I'm gonna have to make room on the fucking poster thing, Steve. I don't know what to do with three fucking numerals. As, a gra- as the graphic designer, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what to do here. I'm panicking. Well, would it would it save space to go Roman? <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Hundo? What's a hundo in Roman? I don't even know. I'm not that affiliated with the Greeks. The Romans or whatever. <laughs> 100 in Roman numerals is a C. So there you go. There we go. We're at C. Episode C, Steve. Hell yeah. We made it. Episode motherfucking C. C, 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 unit. Did you ever think we'd get here, Steve? Did you think the world would last long enough for us to get 100 episodes into this show? Um, I don't know what I'm going to wear today for work like i i don't know i i didn't know to answer your question like i i I don't i don't know what i'm gonna eat today yeah i mean i'm walking around in just like a haze of bong smoke just you know i don't really know what we were trying to think of what to eat tonight and i don't even know what i'm gonna do that and that's in a couple hours so we're we're living on the edge here it's clutch time living on the edge 100 though man like that's a mark bro that is a motherfucking mark cuz i feel like we're upgrading we're going we're, we're we've made it this far we've upgraded slowly but surely and now episode zero we had or one we had nothing we had us a zoom account not even some good mics from the from what i remember i didn't even have a good mic at that point there was no green screen no yeah. background no no fancy background for you uh you know i was on my snowball mic and uh laying on my grandpa pillow as my friend lisa would say <laughs> yeah those first know. couple episodes i was on my grandpa pillow well that's a fucking it's comforting steve and we made it through now we have better mics uh, I mean, I have a legitimate back. I got some decoration, decor. You got a green screen. Uh, we got a fucking merch that we're selling. Now. I mean, what's... Are we becoming business people, Steve? Is that, what's, is that what's slowly happening here? We're upgrading. We're upgrading. We're upgrading for you guys. But now, all jokes aside, it is cool that we made it this far. But we're not done. We're oh not, man, we're not done by a goddamn sight, and we got to talk about some shit today. 
Man, I'm fired up. I'm fired up like Al Pacino in the huddle, Steve. You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch with you. Hoo-ha! I'm fucking Jesse Spano. I'm fucking getting my tailpipe licked by Jesse Spano in my fucking... I don't. He, he was living like by a lake in L.A. or wherever, the, or in Miami. It looked crazy, Steve. I'll put you know, he's living that fat life. He uh, this this is his second time being a Tony in Miami. See, where I, I mean, he this is the evolution, Steve. If he would have made it and just gotten out of the coke game, he'd have been he would have been coaching the Sharks in no time. Sharks, the fucking sharks, dude. Fucking Randy Quaid, or yeah, Randy. So, as the listeners and viewers have heard, this is our 100th episode. Give me a hell yeah! And and Matt, I I have a little uh, pop quiz, a little mini pop quiz. Uh, I'm gonna sneak in. Uh, So, uh, are you are you ready? I'm an expert, dude. I'm ready to fucking go. Okay. Throughout these 100 episodes, what show have we covered the most? And how many times? I'm going to say In Living Color. Mm. Or? No? Nope. Close. What is it? South Park. Scissor me timbers. What? We we've covered nine South Park episodes. Uh, Simpsons seven times, Frasier six times, In Living Color six times, Martin, Fresh Prince, Married with Children, Seinfeld, and SNL five times. I mean, can you blame us? I'm surprised that a couple of those aren't higher. I mean, South, but South Park, wow. I'm There's so much ground. I, I thought I knew my shit, Steve. Now I'm worried. That selection process is hard for us every week, man. Um, you know, we we have to skip some shows that we like really like, uh, so we can you know share share the wealth. Here you go, some Moesha. Cases watch for the like Quantum Leap. I remember we watched that. I, I maybe watched a half episode of that with my grandma. I didn't watch that as a kid, so it's nice to go back, you know, and really just catch up. We covered Quantum Leap twice. We covered MacGyver twice. We we covered Walker more than MacGyver. How do you feel about that? Honestly, the MacGyvers we watched were just kind of boring and blasé. So maybe it's for the, for the good. Because, like, from what I remember, the MacGyvers we watched was him, like, moving to Venice. And then him protecting his neighborhood in Venice. It wasn't... There was no helicopters made with popsicle sticks and fucking him taking a fake pussy and making a grenade out of it there was none of that man i don't know i i enjoyed the fuck out of those episodes but you know <laughs> i'm just saying if you stack it up i'd ra- i'll take a you know a walker where he's whooping the ass of like a whole cholo gang over macgyver taking on you know some porn guy i don't really remember what was going on in that but with one roundhouse kick it's all it takes it's fucking there's like a sonic boom that he that uh chuck norris creates with those roundhouse kicks so good luck we've we've covered baywatch three times 
uh, Family Matters and Doogie Howser, Cheers, Howard Stoyne, Sister Sister, Step by Step, Walker, Texas Ranger three times. Uh, like, how, how do we cover Step by Step more than Boy Meets World? We only cover Boy Meets World one time. Stacy, one time. The answer to that question, Steve, because anytime you see an episode of Step by Step, your perverted ass is like, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, bro, she was lushing out, you know. <laughs> Had to get on I that. I really don't blame you. Stacy Keenan is maybe one of the like she's an unsung diva of the nineties, Steve. But I'm sorry, Topanga. I'm sorry, Matthews family. Uh I'm sorry, Sean. Uh we, we gotta get you guys in the mix more. And uh Drew Carey show only twice because, you know, the streaming service. We covered Daria more than Boy Meets World. And we never really fucked with that. that like, but Daria was kinda like, oh shit, it's summertime. Ah, Daria. Yeah. But honestly, like some of those Darius, though, I didn't hate on them. That's I, I fine. Can't. It's like nostalgic, you know. I didn't watch Aeon Flux all the time, but when I see an episode, I'm into it. Herman's head, no. or, uh, head. I've I've totally forgot about. It. We only covered that once, but I mean, you know, yeah. it wasn't something that we regularly tuned into. But that's what we're here for. We're chronicling even the even the misses, even those the rare misses that we we take the task on this show uh you know we're doing it for the people so and i i didn't i don't remember the cheers episodes i, I think we did one with harry anderson from night court mm-hmm. uh there was one there was one about like a a rivalry with the other pub across the street or something like that i don't know if that was the same episode hmm. yeah I think there because was a Frasier centric episode too that we watched, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe that's what it what, what we're talking about, and that was just like part of it. I'm more yeah. of a see because I'm a Frasier guy, so I'm more centered towards that. If it's not the Crane gentleman, I'm not as into it. Steve, call me fancy, but now, now, how many episodes have been scrapped by Al Gore's internet by by the YouTube? Oh, hmm. I should know this because I have anxiety every time we upload one that if we're going to get fucking popped again. But, I mean, it hasn't been... It's a low percentage. I'm saying eight. And I think I'm... I Maybe I'm... Unless I just haven't gone back and seen that we've gotten popped on some other ones. I'm thinking like eight. Oh, man, that's lofty. Uh, five. Oh, nice. we, we, we've been scrapped by YouTube five times. Uh, they were episode 77, 63, 62, 44, and 13. Uh, all because of Vince. Yeah, I mean, that's the problematic thing about doing this show where we're trying to like reference these shows. And I think it's good, you know, people watching on YouTube and stuff, maybe that have never seen these things. It's fun just to cut from us to like memes and shit like that, but I do think it helps to have a visual reference for what we're talking about specifically. And when you do that, Vince or and you know I, whoever, I, sometimes it doesn't make any sense what they actually like flag and shit. But yeah, YouTube is not kind to people that are just trying to do like uh, you know reviews and and uh, I guess like nostalgia bomb videos if you try to use somebody and it rightfully so if it was my show I wouldn't want somebody to just steal it but we're not stealing it 
you know. If they want to cover my m machine, yeah, use the Ken Burns effect on still portraits. Ugh. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what I was gonna do for a while, but then I figured, fuck it. And I think we figured it out pretty well. Like putting the warning up at the beginning is what a lot of people do. I think, you know, and again, that's part of growing the show a little bit is figuring that out because you get on YouTube, there's people fucking putting full episodes of the shit on. You just, you just gotta figure it out. You know, You're, you can do it. And we're gonna keep doing it until YouTube just completely clamps down on us. And then, you know, I, I don't know. And then we just become like a depressed dude podcast. I don't know, Steve, but until then, we're gonna keep pushing, so yeah, that that <laughs> covers some episodes of the show. But uh, how many of the films that we've covered in detail can you name? Oh God, fuck you, Steve. Marijuana affects the memory. All right, where are we at here? So definitely, what was the Denzel fucking movie? Virtuosity. Virtuosity. We, we got that. Um, Judge Dredd. We did that. The Stallone Judge, one. Judge Dredd, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know there's more, but... Steve, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, so we had uh, Batman Forever. Mm. We did Blair Witch Project. We did Billy Madison, Blank Man, Fluke, fucking Fluke, In the Army Now, I'll Judge Dredd, Mallrats, Menace to Society, Mortal Kombat, Natural Born Killers, Pulp Fiction, Speed, Street Fighter, Tommy Boy, Virtuosity, and Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Damn, we actually have done some movies. We try to avoid that, I think, but hell yeah. Man, I have a bad memory, Steve. I, I suck. But I treasure the time, you know? It's, it's, I enjoy it, but I guess I don't remember it, so shame on me. It's all in a capsule. <laughs> Called Happen in the 90s we, YouTube. That's why we record this shit, Steve, because we're like Richard Nixon. We need to remember everything. I uh... Uh, we did two Clash of Champions, hard, a Hardcore Heaven, a King of the Ring. We did two Nitros. We did a, a Raw. We did a Royal Rumble, a SummerSlam, a Survivor Series, a UFW event, and a WrestleMania. I believe we covered two WrestleManias, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we covered seven and twelve. And some great highlights of wrestling history in those episodes too. Shockmaster. NWO's inception basically like the full story leading up to and including Hulk turning how uh, about flying Brian pulling a fucking gat out on Stone Cold yeah that might be one of my favorite just segments in general Steve I, we had so much fun with that in and Cincinnati why, how could you ways. not yeah I mean yeah. Pillman's fucking pilled up coked up and just gatted up Steve he's ready to go Fucking Macho Man uh, has his career-ending match against the Warrior. Fucking Stone Cold's uh, promo after winning King of the Ring in '96. Hogan shocks the world by turning, going to the dark side. 
I mean, multiple Rick Rude segments where he's cutting the music, whether it's on WCW or WWF, WWE. Man. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we really, that's like our symphony is when we do wrestling stuff. I think we both, that's kind of how we mutually like bonded anyway when we met. So I feel like that it's sort of fitting that that's where we, it's our comfort zone, you know? Especially for you, you're you're like a historian of the shit. My friends always say that. Uh, you know, until I meet you know someone. the deep cuts. Like I remember a yeah. lot of shit that I think, like if you were just like a general wrestling fan, you probably wouldn't remember. But you know, like the shit, like the insider shit. Like you need to work on Vice and like behind the dark side of the ring huh? shit. You know, Vice, you hear that? Hire the man. You fucking up, Jeez. motherfuckers. I'm in a meat locker set at zero degrees. Why? To get you to switch to twin value. My job is to monitor the competition to make sure nobody has lower prices. Because if they did, I'd be forced to put my tongue on this metal bar, freezing it instantly and causing great pain upon removal. I don't want to do that. So please switch to twin value for lower prices. Because it's my job. And more importantly, my tongue. Well, man, for the 100th time, my friend, hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Mad G with Happened in the 90s, a show where we talk about what happened in the 90s. So get out your Life with Louis box sets and your Mr. Hanky t-shirts because it's all good. It's all right. Fuck all day. Fuck all night. Call my bitches because wherever I go, y'all my bitches east to the west coast. Call my bitches. Tell all them bitches, Steve. Tell all them bitches. You know what? I love seeing in uh, any given Sunday's credits, whenever they list the DMX songs, he's credited as just, what's his name? Earl Simmons or Earl Earl Simmons. Yeah. It's written in, uh, (laughs) it's written by Earl Simmons. I love that. The government, you know, he got paid. What if they like cast DMX in My Name is Earl? That would have been way better. I I like Jason Lee, but I mean, it's it's the X-Men. I mean, it was about trailer trash anyway. And I mean, I feel like if you watch that DMX uh, reality show, he had a lot of like trailer trash vibe to him. He just had a lot of money, you know? Fucking, like I loved when he was on Ayala. I think I pronounced her name right. Ayala is supposed to be like a uh, uh, psychiatrist of some sort. She gets these celebrities and like tries to piece together their personal turmoil and their families. And DMX was on there. He called her a bitch a couple times. He's like, he was trying to talk to his son. And Ayala, she fucking interjects. She's like, oh, I'm talking to my son, bitch. Well, you you should not call me such things. And she's just being all very like professional. And the DMX is DMX, man. He's X-Man. That's why I like that show because like he wasn't gonna turn it off. He would be like cracked out. In a great, there was a segment where he's supposed to be, at least in the show, in the booth with Swiss Beats. Swiss Beats is like, he's like two hours late. Where is this guy? Call DMX. Where the fuck is DMX? My time's more valuable than this. They call DMX. He's sweating like his ass off, cracked out with a couple of guys, and he's in a gas station schooling the owner the guy working on how to make scrambled eggs in a microwave (laughs) it's 
it, I mean, it wasn't great for him, probably, but it was great TV. It was like, uh, it was a reality show, I think. I think it was just his reality show, but it was wild. I, yeah, I, I didn't like seeing him in that in that light, man. Uh, I just I thought mean, it was I hate to funny. be a downer. I mean, yeah, of course, we all like a bad train wreck, man. Um, I mean, I, I think the Bobby and Whitney show lasted a couple seasons for that exact purpose. Damn, I forgot that that even existed. It's been so long. I did forget about that. But I think even like in the DMX one, if you remember, like, uh, he got arrested for impersonating a cop. Where yeah. he had like, he just put like a cop light on and pulled somebody over or something like that. And uh, I think that actually happened like while not on the show, like they didn't like air it, but like while they were filming so that that show so that's how crazy he was acting uh maybe some scumbag producer is just like yo he is losing his mind right now so let's get him on a contract let's just get yeah. some cameras rolling on this immediately imagine that getting pulled over by earl simmons <laughs> yeah what, what, what the fuck well uh today my friend we're talking about all things december 22nd in the 90s Starting off in 1992, the R&B group Shy releases their album, uh, their debut album, uh, If I Ever Fall In Love. And that album has Comforter, Baby I'm Yours, If You Win It. Ah. I feel like it was on Family Matters. I think they performed that, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I could see Laura in her fucking cheesy-ass outfit or whatever for the episode, dancing to that at some, like, school pet rally or some fucking Winslow bullshit. Ah, Kyle, and, this uh, movie, this music's too sexual, Kyle. <laughs> and, uh, but the track, this is, like, one of the greatest R&B songs ever performed, written, anything. Uh, if I ever fall in love, um, because the shit they, it is so good, they had it on there twice. It was twice on the album, man. Uh, the regular version that we heard on the radio in the videos, and then there was an acapella version. Uh, it, it's just very soulful. It's, it was unique. This is 1992, and you know, we had Boys to Men already, but like that they didn't finesse some shit like this. I bet Boys to Men heard this song like fuck. They did it. They got us. Yeah. It's just, and if I ever fall in love again, I will be sure that the lady is a friend. I think, didn't they do that on Martin? No. No? That's, no. Okay. Man, I thought he did like saying some like that in a crazy way. Maybe I'm misremembering. That's crazy. I do remember that song. That's what is that? What is the name of the band or the group? Shy. Shy. S H S H A I. Oh wow. Yeah. But after that, they released an album that following year, 1993. Yeah, didn't spin. They shied away. Did they shy away from success, Steve? They shied away from uh, public knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Is there any significance to the spelling? Is it just a creative spelling? I'm wondering because where, like, to me, I didn't even think of that way to spell it, Steve. Maybe I'm stupid. But... Uh, I mean, it was the '90s. It's like, hey, it was the early '90s too. Like, let's let's spell shy in a fucking. That's wacky. Let's go with it. I like ambiguous 
uh, based out of DC. They actually met at Howard University. Um, yeah, I don't know how the name came about, man. But uh, that following year, 1993, The Nanny. Uh, airs the episode Christmas episode uh, much to his children's disappointment as well as friends Maxwell has to be in Washington DC on Christmas Day meanwhile Fran has an overextended her has overextended herself in buying gifts yeah I mean um, I think we can both just come into the out of the gates here and just say that this was a sort of a last minute select just because of some uh, information and I I don't care for the I you know Put me in jail, Steve. Put me in 90s jail because I could give a fuck about the nanny, okay? But that being said, the end of this episode made me laugh out loud and almost snort coffee out of my nose how ridiculous it was. So we'll get to it. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, I don't give a fuck about the nanny either or most things CBS, but I care about some Fran Drescher's. You really, you're into it, huh? See, I just, this is a nightmare to me. This is scary to me. I don't like it. Well, you you know what it is, Matt? I I believe there's a uh, porn parody and, uh, of the nanny and the actress, she resembles Fran Drescher. And I think that's what does it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) is it called the fanny? Cause that's really the only thing I can think of to, um, um possibly or or i think it's either that or there's a porn actress who just straight up looks like her and, oh okay um, All right. yeah i thought maybe you knew something i didn't like maybe there's a secret fran drescher r-rated movie that just she's you know it's like fucking sliver or something where she just banging a fucking baldwin or something in a movie <laughs> guess not but you know friend she can get it and it's fine and clearly she can get it because she's about to land this fucking multi-millionaire guy that she's nannying for oh, um pussy ass pierce brosnan yeah fucking scumbag ass what's the guy that we have hugh grant hugh grant could yeah. beat this guy's ass steve yeah. <laughs> tally ho tally ho friend I fancy a little roll in the hay mm-hmm. I've some spotted dick <laughs> and uh it's a Christmas episode Steve so we come in friend and the kids went ice skating Niles the butler guy the sassy little there's always a sassy butler in these situations it doesn't matter where we're at um and he's sort of, uh, you know, decorating for Christmas. Uh, he's getting the, the whole uh, the Sheffield residence ready to go. And, you know, sassy attitude, but he's trying to school Fran on some stuff in this episode, Steve. And I appreciate that. Like cranberries on a string. Fuck it. Why not? Some popcorn? Why not? This is not things that I did, but these are the things rich people make their butlers do to get ready for Christmas, you know? Fuck it. When you got a guy, when you got a guy sitting here, you know, buttling all over your house, fuck it. Put get, put some fucking popcorn on the string, Niles. Get hop two. Let's but, do this. But Niles is over it, man. Just because he's doing it doesn't mean he likes it. Uh, he's actually considering converting uh, to Judaism because uh, Hanukkah is not as much of a hassle. Yeah. Just put up some menorah candles. Call it a day. I mean, you got Fran right there just to ask some questions, because that's all one thing I was wondering. I was like, isn't this chick Jewish? And she is, but she's open, Steve, and she's wanting to, uh, you know, oh, yeah, get into them drows of Mr. Sheffield, so whatever. And she loves these kids and whatnot, which I still don't get, because right at the beginning, 
these kids are like all hoity-toity and she starts throwing up tinsel and the one kid's like tinsel before the lights you trash <laughs> like what uh, the fuck kid true value ryan gosling has a mini stroke and uh, like all these kids are trash oh, they, they fucking suck all these kids they're fucking they, like they don't have the look like whoever their competition was in these auditions they must really be fugly especially because, the uh, oldest one like i get you got a boy a young the younger ones they, they're probably gonna grow up but you've picked you selected an adult chick that just like is that miss durr or fucking substitute steve yeah Miss uh, Durr, Christina Applegate, you are not Maggie. <laughs> yeah, Maggie, she's fucking, she's a downer. Um, but Mr. Sheffield, he's into Christmas, Steve. He's very anal about Christmas, and Niles is like, fucking watch out, friend. Don't be jewing the place up if you know what I mean. He won't like it. Um, yeah. he's and uh, Fran is so committed to these kids that. Uh, you know, one thing before I, I almost jumped uh, detail, the kids, they don't really give a fuck about Santa, Steve. They don't believe in Santa. They worship Edna, their personal shopper. She yeah. buys them what all their Christmas gifts every year. And Fran, this like touches something in her head. She's like, this isn't right. I'm going to buy these kids gifts with my money, which is just stupid. Like, cause bitch, you don't make enough. And you're working for a rich guy. Let the rich guy buy the shit. You show up, you're gonna, and also we find out, you're gonna be taking care of these kids on Christmas while this guy's in Washington DC with CC the bitch goddess doing something with the Kennedy Center. We never get any details. He's gotta give a speech at the Kennedy Center on Christmas. For what? And he's the fuck CC. That's, yeah, exactly. That's really what that was. They're trying to get away and you can tell. Because Cece's a little like, oh, he's not going to have any time to do anything else. Anything else. And Grace annoys the fuck out of me. Uh, like, no present pleases her. I just want my daddy here. <laughs> Bitch, y'all rich. He'll be back. You can get a TV, kid. You can get whatever. You're living in like a fucking mansion in New York. You can have whatever you want. You could buy a person, probably. If you want, I mean, fuck it. There's some homeless guy outside. You got a butler yourself. You got your own personal butler. You're good. Each of y'all probably have the Zach Morris phone in your fucking room. You can call that motherfucker when he gets off the plane. How about that? I mean, it's, you know, it's fine. You're going to be fine. You got Niles to hang out with. You got Fran to hang out with. You got Edna to hang out with. And, uh, but, you know... The dad's cool, but he has to go. And he's seems kind of apologetic about it, but he's gonna do it. So he's like, Fran, thank you. And while this all this is happening, Fran is worried about money. She talks about, uh, she comes back with her friend, which I've never seen in these episodes. She has a best friend, I think her name's Val. Yeah. It's like New Jersey garbage. And um, she's buying these gifts with no, she's writing Fugazi checks, Steve. And she tells Niles this. She's like, look, I'm wearing some fucking iffy checks here on these kids' gifts. So uh, what do you think I ought to do? And Niles is like, well, uh, you know, luckily the Mr. Sheffield's very generous. So you're probably going to get a bunch of money. We're talking four-figure bonus here. So just wait. Wait it out. And again, but again, I'm questioning, don't, you're, it's like buying your boss a gift. What are you, what are you doing? You're just giving him his money back. 
a man who has everything already and uh, we're at the merry morning of the day before Christmas uh, because pussy ass family celebrates shit like that and Max is trying to put together the bike that he got for his son Brighton which is a pussy ass name uh, yeah it's just cringe all over but he can't put a bike together because he's a fucking pussy yeah, and then he, we think he put it together because we just sort of cut away from that. But it turns out he can't because he calls it a, he gives his son a fucking fucked up half built bike and calls it a bike kit. Yeah. The wheel is where the seat's supposed to be. Hey, dad. And then Niles, bitch ass, sassy ass, gives him a screwdriver to put it together for Christmas. <laughs> so he's got the right idea. He's, he's all about fucking with these kids. You know, that's what I'd be doing. I'd really be trying to put the screws to these rich-ass Dilatama-ass kids, but, you know, yeah. they're nice, I guess. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And they're celebrating, and we get, they give out gifts, and Fran is assuming she's going to get the same bonus that Niles gets, because he gets that check. But when Fran is about to, th- she's like, yes, I'm about to get that fucking money, instead of an envelope... She gets a box filled with a fucking just... I mean, it looks like a bong, Steve, but, you know, maybe that's my pothead ass just seeing that shit. It it looks like some bullshit, you know? Anything's a bong, you stare at it enough. (laughs) Put a couple of holes in there, a couple, a little bit of water, you're good, Steve. That's a bubbler. Um, But that ain't gonna pay for those gifts. There ain't no bong in in town that's gonna pay for all... For whatever you bought these kids... You know, I don't know what you did purchase, but unless it was a Rolex, you should be able to pay for this shit. What are you making? Maxwell's a hoe. Like, dude, you have a big house. Clearly, you have money. You can go to D.C. on a whim. You do shit at the Kennedy Center. You have functions at the fucking Kennedy Center, and you got your nanny who watches your fucking pussy-ass kids 24-7, 365, a fucking base. You punk bitch. Can I ask one, like, in just the logic of this whole scenario... It's Christmas. You got to go to D.C. Maybe instead of just taking some fucking chick that's a downer with you, Cece, take your family with you. They can go to the Kennedy Center. There ain't a strip. Unless the Kennedy Center's a strip club in D.C., uh, they can go. And then you guys can have Christmas together and avoid all this bullshit. But that's not going to happen. Why do that? It's not going to be good TV, Steve. So, Sheffield goes... Um, they get to the airport. Um, Niles actually calls Mr. Sheffield and tells him about what's going on with Fran. So that fucks his head up. And while that's happening, uh, they, he hears an announcement that the, his flight's going to be, um, delayed. So he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go handle this. Um, Prior to him finding all this out, Fran had actually pawned her vase off to pay for this. Yeah. And she, I don't know how much money she got, but it didn't seem like a lot from the pawn shop. Two hundo. Yeah. So, um, the pawn stars, the, the, the grandfather comes out of the bag and is like, Hey, big house, so fucking, I'll give you a fucking 200 fucking, $200 for that, Steve. I feel like they got away with a steal. That's in 93 or 92, too. That's like 800 bucks. It's a porcelain butt plug. That's... And... <laughs> like, she she feels some kind of way about it. It's like, the motherfucker did give me something, man. And here's the thing. Like, don't tell a motherfucker it's the thought that counts. 
uh, when they're about to give you a gift or if they're thinking about getting you a gift before they get you a gift because they just gonna get you some bullshit yeah my experience like a vase <laughs> like what uh, what fuck anywho so there's a whole kerfuffle going on now mr sheffield's coming back to help fran tries to get her vase back um and i think she actually does repawn it and goes into debt for it but regardless there's this whole thing going on she and gives her grandmother's watch to him exact that's what it was so she gives up that heirloom um and then also within all that happening at the airport cc sort of gets in this little uh thing with uh the airport santa claus you know it seems like we don't see what happens but she starts arguing with them and then tbd that'll come back to haunt her later so and now uh we have the family going to a church service a christmas church service and fran is feeling some kind of way um you know she feels fucked up that she had to do all this shit she's writing bad checks she gave a family heirloom uh to the pawn shop guy to get the fucking uh vase this little miniature vase back that can't fit any damn flower but uh she goes into the confessional and she she talks to the the what do you call him the the father the priest or whatever yeah and uh you know she's chopping it up with the priest with the padre uh you know talking about her grandmother's watch and before you know it maxwell pops in you just surprised got like, that's crazy first of all let's you know this isn't a confessional guys so let's not you could have walked in on somebody confessing some real shit but maxwell's yeah. he's got a hard on for fran maybe you can smell her shitty perfume that she her trash ass is wearing uh, but he comes in, tells her that he figured he's been told everything. He knows what's going on. He presents her the uh, watch that she pawned off to get the vase back. And in this whole thing, I believe he accidentally like sits on the watch. And I don't know really what happens medically, but something happens in that action that leads to him having to go to the ER, Steve. No, he doesn't sit on the watch. He sits on that fucking porcelain butt plug. Oh, okay. Well, then I know what happened. He got penetrated by that bong, and now he's in there. He's he's going in like a guy who has like a rat in his ass, like Richard yes. Gere. He's like, look, I I sat down and I think my gerbil went up my butt. They're like, okay, whatever, dude. Whatever, dude. You were in a church, sure. Yeah, <laughs> if you say so. Has several pieces of fucking vase <laughs> shot into his asshole. Luckily, he's got his whole family with him there just to see all this embarrassment because he's fucking face down, ass up on a fucking gurney. <laughs> I guess gaped from the fucking vase that he sat on. But while he's being attended to, uh, the Santa that we saw Cece get into it with at the fucking airport comes in. He gets wheeled in, and apparently, Cece had a little bit of fucking naughty and her and beat the shit out of the guy i think something happened with the guy she ain't getting no pp matt well i mean fuck it uh, yeah i mean that really is what it is and uh santa's a little bit fucking it's santa they you don't want to see this they wheel a man they have a little loving you know they're they're sharing in the love and there's a there's a little thing here and fran is like you know what guys how can we do this it's christmas Let's let Santa hang out. Let's let Santa share in the family, you know, this glow that we're all 
sharing right now the Christmas spirit. And she takes the curtain. Santa just got wheeled in there a second ago. It's Steve. There's nobody there. What? He's what? got homes to deliver to. Ho, ho. And that's all we get. That's that. It's that stereotypical moment, Steve, where everybody rushes to the window and it's just, <gasps> Santa? What did it <laughs> Fucking Judge Reinhold's get holding a weenie whistle, <laughs> like, whoo. But uh, yeah, Steve. So that's that was a thing. But here's to the nanny for doing her Christmas. You don't usually see a show go this close to Christmas, you know. And they, they, they went right to the wire and gave us a Christmas episode. So thank you. But also, I mean, fuck, fuck these rich ass kids. This whole this whole situation makes no sense. Get a private jet and take your family, even take Fran's beautiful ass with you. Go to the nation's capital and bang in the fucking suite someplace. You're rich. What's going on here? You could take both. Yeah, why does it always get so complicated? Like even in Home Alone, you got all these kids, you got all this money. You could make it you it you could make idiot proof it. You got the money to do so. So use it. You know, Mr. Sheffield, get a suite, get a couple of suites and Niles can watch the kids and you can have like a bang vacation with Fran and the other one. Maybe Cece can show up and help relieve a little stress too, you know? And uh, someone who probably did not watch Sears catalog GoldenEye get shrapnel busted into his ass, it's probably Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington because in 1993, December 22nd, Philadelphia premiered in theaters. When a man with HIV is fired by his law firm because of his condition, he hires a homophobic small-time lawyer as the only winning advocate for a wrongful dismissal suit. Directed by Jonathan Demme, starring Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, Jason Robarts, Mary Steenburgen, Antonio Banderas, and Joanne Woodward. I've seen it. Uh, I think it's a very famous movie. It's one of the movies like we were talking about last week, Steve. You, if you even enjoy it, you ain't watching this a bunch of times. You know, it is what it is. The early '90s, you had to be there. But I gotta say, like for somebody, if, if you got a couple, right? And on one side is Antonio Banderas, and on the other side is Tom Hanks. What's going on there, Antonio? You could have done way better. You know, you could have done way better, but. This is a downer movie. It's about AIDS. Tom Hanks obviously killed it. I think he got an Oscar for this. You might have even said that in your intro. And uh, yeah, very famous movie. Just not something that I'm going to ever watch again. So yeah, this was uh, his first Oscar. And, uh, you know, he would go back to back like fucking the Lakers, the Bulls, like Drake. uh, and, And follow that up with Forrest Gump in 94. And um, he had to lose almost 30 pounds um, to, to do this role, man. And Denzel Washington, he was requested to gain some pounds. And to the chagrin of Tom Hanks, uh, Washington would start would uh, eat chocolate bars in front of Tom Hanks. I like that, too. That makes it that may, that's a great behind the scenes moment. God damn it, Denzel. And uh, as of this year 2022 this was the last denzel washington role where he does not play the main actor oh wow 
Look at his suave ass there, though. Look at him. It's, that's I need a mustache like that, Steve. That's fantastic. And uh, this this is just on the heels of Malcolm X. Like Malcolm X was released like late '92. Um, oh no, so this isn't on the heels. Uh, this is the like about a year later. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Denzel, as always, man, crushing it through the 90s. And did he get an still... Oscar nod for this? Like, was he in it or was he like for uh, uh, whatever you call it, you know, for the Academy? Well, whatever the thing is, it's not um, not leading actor, but uh, supporting. Support- actor. Well, it was nominated for other things outside of best actor. Uh, it was Tom Hanks and Denzel. Uh, he was nominated at the Award Circuit Community Awards for Best Actor in a Leading Role, uh, but it would go to Tom Hanks. Because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. So, yeah, he was nominated for some things, but uh, Denzel didn't win for this film. It's a fucking tough one to watch, man, because you watch a dude deteriorate in the movie, too. Like, he's kind of normal looking at the beginning, and then by the end, Tom Hanks is all withered away and has, like, lesions all over his body. It's crazy. Well, I mean, (laughs) this helped make people aware of HIV because it was still somewhat fresh. People still thought it was like, oh, you can get it from someone breathing on you or, you know, I don't know playing basketball with them sweat perspiration falling on you yeah uh, people were just ignorant of hiv and how you can contract it um, when it's just so crazy now because of how like whenever this came out it was that it was like people still didn't really understand it or didn't care to understand it it was a gay disease you got it you died all this stuff and now we're at we're i mean i feel like aids and herp it's like aids and herpes it's like they're the same thing at this point you don't die when you get aids it's just like an annoyance you know which is a cool thing i honestly it's probably somewhat as a result of awareness being brought to it by movies like this and it was praised for that purpose uh but in 1995 dracula dead and loving it premiered theaters mel brooks parody of the classic vampire story in its famous film adaptations Directed by Mel Brooks, starring Leslie Nielsen, Peter McNichol, Stephen Weaver, Amy Yazbek, Lizette Anthony, and Harvey Corman. See, I didn't realize it was a Mel Brooks movie. I knew it was Liam Neeson in the title role of it, but I always assumed, I, for whatever reason, I thought maybe this was just like an offshoot of the Naked Gun movies he was making. Sort of that same like parody movie, but that's dope, dude. That makes me want to go back and watch it now. Because that guy that did the, the Naked Guns... Uh, he he did like a lot of those parodies too. Like I think it's the same guy that did Airplane, if I'm not mistaken. And he also did Hot Shots. Oh, th- that's the same dude. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, totally. But yeah, this movie is from what I remember, and you can hear it. Like Amy Asbeck's in this. Just like she, apparently, this is probably filled with a lot of uh, Mel Brooks alums too, which makes me want to watch it again even more because it's all he never really misses, you know. And. I think uh was it Harvey Harvey Corman? Yeah, he's a he's a regular on the Mel Brooks films, or he was. Uh, he's no longer with us. But uh Leslie Nielsen, man, a fucking legend. And uh, you know, I never seen this. Never you seen this. I mean, you should definitely should watch it. Now that I remember it's because again, I like sort of attach this to Naked Gun and you know, I like those movies enough, but 
I was more of a hot shots guy and uh but Leslie Nielsen dude he's a G dude and one thing he doesn't sort of get the credit he's always in like a lot of our memories kids from the 90s he's this guy you know like he's in these goofy movies but uh he was in a movie I think it's creep show that's like a, almost a tales from the crib movie with like different little serial movies uh in it and he's in this uh crazy one where he plays like a guy who's gonna kill somebody and he plays like a psycho and he's good at like dramatic acting he's a really good actor and i mean before he broke big with the parodies man he had a whole career doing like serious roles yeah i mean um, he's he's good and he's like a very you know he's like class he looks like one of those classically he's like a classic uh actor dude like celebrity you know one of my favorite Canadians. Uh, and on that same day in 95, Grumpier Old Men premieres. Uh, John and Max resolve to save their beloved bait shop from turning into an Italian restaurant just as its new female owner catches Max's attention. Directed by Howard Dooch, uh, starring Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, Anne Margaret, Sophia Loren, Kevin Pollack, and Daryl Hannah. Yeah, you didn't like these movies, huh? I just never seen him. Uh, uh, I, I like uh, Walter Matthau. Uh, he was uh, Mr. Wilson on the Dennis the Menace in the nineties. Yeah, uh, he was a uh, uh, Coach Wanamaker uh, from the Bad News Bears days. Man, I fucks with the Matthaus, and I fucks with some Sophia Loren uh, in her heyday, uh, bro. Uh, even into her late Cougar days, dude. I'm telling Sophia you right Loren. now, Stephen. This is me remembering it. So forgive me if you go back and it's not the case. But these are. You know, this movie is basically the odd couple. If you split them up, they live next to each other and hated them each other. It's a funny-ass movie because it's just two guys playing pranks on each other. Um, It's hilarious. But the two hot, Sophia Loren and the Italian chick, I mean, they're gilfs, Steve. They're fucking gilfs, bro. And these two guys are, this whole movie is about these two guys just trying to fuck the whole time. And I love it. It's two old guys just trying to get some sex, Steve. And I believe, isn't that the, the same crew that did Odd Couple, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau? Marijuana affects the memory. These movies were movies that my parents like took me to, the Grumpy Old Men franchise, because this is a sequel. Um, and I these movies are just fucking funny. The, the one guy's dad is um, the trainer from Rocky, uh, Mer... Um, what's that guy's Burgess name? Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith, yeah. and he's an old salty like uh, pervert in these movies, and he's he's the best part. Like he walks up to that Italian lady's mom in a grocery store, and he's like, "What do you say we go back to my house, and I'll show you my man-sized manicotti." Beautiful. Like it's a lot of like Italian pasta sex references, so. I love these movies. You definitely have to watch them. And I uh, believe that's his last role, Burgess Meredith, before he passed away, man. Yeah. He uh, actually even dies in this movie. Like, this movie's one of those, like, sort of, like, gr- fried green tomatoes movies that is old people eat up because it is funny, but there's also, like, some dramatic shit. You know, it's, like, about getting old and and that shit, too. So it's it's cool, man. And I think it's almost like a Christmas movie, too. You know, like I mean, it, it's it's close enough. It happens in like the actual movie itself. So check it out, dude. I'm interested to see what you think of it. I, I check out both of them if they're available. 
But uh, on that same day in 95, Sudden Death premieres. Uh, a former fireman takes on a group of terrorists, holding the vice president and others hostage during the seventh game of the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Directed by Peter Himes, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Powers Booth, Raymond J. Berry, and Dorian Harewood. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those Jean-Claude 90s movies that uh, <laughs> it defies explanation, but one thing, we don't have to go deep, but he kills the penguin's mascot, who is actually a terrorist uh, <laughs> in disguise, and that's great. Um, this right here. He And I think... If I'm not mistaken, Steven, this might be just throw, besmirching somebody, but I think the writers of The Office in America stole the plot for Threat Level Midnight, the movie Michael Scott makes. Uh, they stole the plot because basically it's this movie. There's a terrorist plot that all happens in the NHL Finals, and this guy's like basically going around a finals game killing people and... He might even, there might be an explosive puck in this movie, if I'm not mistaken, Steve. Well, this screenshot behind me had me sold. Is that a fucking meat tenderizer that he's trying to kill? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, what happens to that guy is Jean-Claude somehow, like, ties a cord around his neck and it pulls him into some kind of meat grinder. And then he's, like, pulled into a meat grinder and that's how he kills that guy. I love it. But I gotta also love it because it—I mean—it heavily is, involves Pittsburgh, so you gotta love that. I'm the fucking penguin, dude. That's guile. Uh, and also in '95, Tom and Huck. Tom and Huck. Two best friends witness a murder and embark on a series of adventures in order to prove the innocence of a man wrongly accused of the crime. Directed by Peter Hewitt. Hewitt, starring JTT and Brad Renfrew. In a movie that no one wanted, no one asked for. And Steve, I watched maybe five minutes of this, but this is not, I don't, you know, JTT, we love you. You're a legend. Brad Renfro, rest in peace. Walt Disney, you know, maybe dig, dig a little deeper, guys. We don't need to, we don't need this. Oh, oh you don't like my movie, huh? <laughs> uh, fuck. But also in 95, uh, Waiting to Exhale, uh, I feel like this is one of those coming of age. Uh, based on Terry McMillan's novel, this film follows four very different African-American women and their relationships with men. Directed by Forrest Whitaker and starring Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, and Leela Rashawn. Isn't Leela Rashawn in Any Given Sunday? Isn't that Willie Beeman's girl? Uh, yeah, we, we have another one, uh, another twofer that was in Any Given Sunday. But yeah, Leela Rashawn was in that. She played Vanessa, uh, Jamie Foxx's girlfriend. And um, I feel like this picture is, is kind of iconic from that movie, From Waiting to Exhale. It's about all four women uh, finding their peace. They've been done wrong by their men, uh, whether it's cheating, whether it's abuse. Uh, and uh, was it Loretta Devine, her husband, played by Gregory Hines, she finds out he's gay. So they, they go through it. All four of these women, they go, these men are just, you, you would have thought these men were characters in a Tyler Perry movie. Like, like they just going through the fucking ringer. And this is kind of symbolic because she's leaving it all behind. Fuck this. Fuck this car. Fuck this house. Start a new life. And I'm going to link up with Wesley Snipes at the end of this movie. 
God, what a power couple that is right there. Wesley Snipes and Bassett. I mean, look at... You know what's really wild to me? is Like, that maybe proves that Angela Bassett is either, like, an angel or some sort of vampire. She doesn't look any different now. I saw her in Black Panther 2, and I'm almost convinced that they put a gray wig on her just to make her look old in that movie for a little bit. They were like, look, we got to figure out something here, because you're not... They're going to find out. You're not aging, bitch. She can bite my neck any day. <laughs> Please, dude. We should all be so fucking lucky. Yeah, but waiting to exhale, we weren't watching it, Steve, other than just maybe to see some of that. Yeah. Maybe I mean, to see I a little bit it. of that. I watched it too, but just, the, you know, we weren't going to the theater. Fuck no. Fuck no. Uh, according to Whitney Houston's longtime bodyguard, David Roberts, Houston suffered a cocaine overdose during the film's production, and that's been reported um people covering this movie yeah so she her habit started yeah a while ago well before the 2000s man which is so crazy dude i mean they're making i'm wondering they're making that movie that's coming out like i think it's actually maybe just came out that's like a biopic about it like i wonder how much they'll like cover of that part of it because i mean i feel like that other than like the huge success yes but i mean the astronomical like thing that happened at the end of her career like how do you make a biopic and not discuss that a little bit and that's wild she OD'd on the set of a movie yeah and they were like look we gotta we only got 30 days so get some Narcan in her and get her out here (laughs) that's crazy man R.I.P. to the legend man Uh, but also in 1995 the final episode of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego airs on PBS uh I had this on rotation uh, when I didn't have other options in the afternoon. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I didn't like Ghost Rider, and I think Ghost Rider was preceding this. So I'd wait, and uh, I like me some Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. I actually had a video game, like, on the computer, like, one of the first computer games I ever had, that, to my memory, it was, you know, it came in this big-ass computer game box, But one of the things, Steve, it came with like an almanac, like a huge fucking dictionary sized book that you had to like do some fucking research in and like find shit, answers to questions in this game. And looking back, it's like, how am I not a super genius? What was I doing that I wasn't paying attention to this game or this show? Like, I didn't retain any of that fucking knowledge, Steve. Chief would be furious at me. Yeah, you wouldn't be a gumshoe. A good gumshoe. Gum shoes. Rest in peace, correct? Chief is passed. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's correct. She uh, she passed away, I believe, in the 2000s. And uh, she's also known, uh, her voice is known uh, from the Warriors back in the day. From the movie The Warriors. Really? Yeah, she was like the uh, radio DJ that would uh, kind of do the narration of what was going on in the streets. Nice deep cut. I didn't know that. That's cool. Really? No. Warriors is a weird movie to me. I think that came out because I think like I after like Diddy did the shit in the one at the beginning of that one song and I figured like somebody told me what that reference was. I came on to that the Warriors shit. It's a weird fucking movie, but it's good. It's Yeah. Lynn Thigpen is her name, and she passed away March 12, 2003, at the age of 54. 
Um, Damn, she was young. That's crazy. That sucks. Cere- cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah, man. Uh, did, how much of the theme song do you remember? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? That's it. I mean, there was a lot of scoob up and doop a doop a boop up. Hold on, now I might get it. No, I don't know it. Well, she'll ransack Pakistan and run a scam in Scandinavia. Then she'll stick them up down under and go pickpocket Perth. I said it offbeat. She put the miss in misdemeanor. When she stole me from Lima, tell me where. I forgot, dude. I forgot they had a bang in that song. She went from Thailand to Thailand to Thailand to Thailand. Right back. And then the Pakistan thing comes in, I think. Hell yeah, Steve. Shout out to whoever doo the the doo group that did that shit. Somehow, somewhere they fit a barbershop quartet into all of this because why not? Uh, you know, they say weed does bad things on earth. I digress. Thank you, Carmen San Diego, for the memories. But in 1996, St. Louis Blues right wing Brett Hull scores his 26th NHL career hat trick to reach 500 career goals in a 7 4 win over the LA Kings. With father, Bo- father Bobby Hull, it would be the first father son combo to reach a record 500 goals. Brett Hall, that's a famous hockey name I forgot about. Oh, man. Holster? Brett Hall, the St. Louis Blues. The St. Before I got... Go ahead, sorry. Before I got knee-deep into sports, Brett Hall, after Wayne Gretzky, after Mario Lemieux, uh, I guess you could say Eric Lindros, like, he was one of the other names I could pick out. Like, okay, Brett, he, like, he does that too. Yeah, I think Brett Hall, if I'm not mistaken, had like a wake, a wicked fucking slap shot. I think so. I think that was like his his signature move, if I'm not mistaken. But shout out Brett Hart, or I almost said Brett Hart. He probably played a little hockey too, eh? <laughs> Definitely. I wonder if he did, Steve. Is Brett out there just fucking slamming fucking wristers and shit? Oh, he was like a, uh, what do you call him? Uh, uh, he had some kind of association with the Calgary Flames. Oh, at he, some point. he had like an honorary, he got, he got like a two day contract or some shit. Some shit. Uh, but so somebody who probably shit. didn't watch NHL on this day or anything, Brett Hall at all in 1996 is probably your boy. Steelers Cordell Stewart because he would run for a record 80 yards a record for a quarterback for a touchdown slash dude I have mixed emotions about Cordell Stewart because as groundbreaking as he was as a player and he was he was one of the like he wasn't the first mobile quarterback or anything but he he, at one point, he punted. He ran shit back. He was slash. He did a bunch of shit, you know, which he was pushed cool. the envelope. You know, um, you know, he was the precursor to Mike Vick. Uh, to was it Lamar yep. Alexander? You know, before those guys, uh, he he kind of walked, or should I say, uh, rushed. Yeah, and I mean, he was successful. He got us to almost to the promised land, Steve. 
But oh, he, goodness. the last time that he was a factor in my life was when we were living in the dorms, and we he fucking just biffed a fucking playoff game against the Patriots, and um, you know he just could never put it all together. He would have some great stats, he would do some cool shit, and he'd win a good amount of regular season games, but. Everyone, when you wanted him to fucking throw that perfect pass, he'd throw a fucking perfect interception, Steve. And that, to me, is his legacy. It was just mediocrity. Just pull the titty out, not let you fuck. I mean, mean, it is. It seriously is that. And I mean, but he did, he made me happy. And I, I, he was my quarterback through most of my formative years in Ohio. So a lot of uh, verbal abuse he took at the, from the Ohioans. And I had to withstand that, and most of the time it was great because he was he was fucking Cleveland Browns teams up for about well, a good decade. So in the nineties, that wasn't really hard to do. Now, was it? <laughs> I mean, Is it know. ever hard to do, Steve? You know, still. Let's be honest. No, I'll be Steve. Now, nineteen eighty-seven, Scotty Bowman of the Red Wings. He beat the Boston Bruins, or the Red Wings did, 4-2, giving him 200 wins with Detroit and making him the first NHL coach to record 200 wins with three different teams. It was also Montreal and Buffalo. He got a good team in Detroit, though. Those Red Wings, when we were living there and like going through school, they were always at the top of the NHL, even if they weren't winning Stanley Cups all the time. You could say right place, right time. But, I mean, for him to have success in Buffalo and Montreal as well, and I guess it's the uh, the perfect storm because he had some hitters, as you said, man. Uh, there was Osgood, there was Iserman, uh, you know, all those guys who were like Hall of Famers now, man. And uh, yeah. I remember them going to the, the Cup and getting the Cup. Yeah, I had a friend 90s, that was man. huge into them that loved them. So I definitely remember the year they won it. And I think... Uh, yeah, they were going up against like those avalanche teams too, like back yeah. in the day that were really fucking good. So it was just like, you know, a good time for, for hockey, and especially if you were in Detroit, for sure. Now, December 22nd, 1998, DMX will release his second album, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. And the releases from that were Slippin' and No Love For Me. This is his second album in the same year he released his first one, man. And uh, Damn, cover- I didn't realize that. Well, we covered it earlier this year. Uh, it's dark and hell is hot. And I feel like there aren't too many rappers in the history of hip hop who had a rollout like DMX before, because before his first album was released, he would be featured on songs with LL Cool J, Method Man, Red Man, The Locks, Lil' Kim. And, you know, people were anticipating DMX's debut album. I remember, like, people would have snippets, a couple tracks on the CD. And so when it was released, the shit went platinum in no time. And the same deal with this, man. It's, at this point, I believe, more than triple platinum. And he's one of the few rappers to release two albums in the same year, man. Uh, Before him, it was Tupac, but Tupac's two albums, uh, All Eyes on Me and Machiavelli, uh, one of them was released posthumously, Machiavelli. Yeah. yeah I definitely had this one because I like Slipping and Falling. I definitely remember that song. And uh, I mean, my I remember my, this is one of the few things. I 
rap was weird in our school. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. And I remember, like, my friends were, like, kind of hot and cold on it. But uh, my neighborhood buddies all had this shit. I had this. This was definitely in my CD case. And it is wild to think that he did two two albums in one year. Like, you know, one of which being his first. And then if you think about it, we're about to talk about it. Like he was being, his songs were being featured in movies and shit too. Like what a cat, like a huge rise so quickly. That's dope. His run, you could say from what, 97 to like 2001. Um, I mean, you could put that run up against a lot of cats, man. Hell yeah. He, I mean, dude was a success. That's why he, he was kind of a danger to himself later in his life because he just had never ending money. And all the fuck ups he had, it was just like, well, you know, fuck it. He's just, that's how successful it is. It is kind of crazy that people are getting ripped off, but somehow he got successful and he kept that fucking money somehow. So he must be a fucking cutthroat businessman, too. That's cool. And you could also throw in his first starring role in a film with, with Belly, with Nas uh, around this time, as well as being in Woodstock and the, like to see how the crowd was responding Jesus. to him. It, it was like he was Bruce Springsteen, who had already been there uh, for decades. Uh, like a, he was already a household name by the time he got the Woodstock, man. But uh, he's one of one, as they say. And uh, R.I.P. to that legend, man. Uh, there'll be no other. Never. Now, in 1999, Any Given Sunday premiered in theaters. Uh, it's directed by Oliver Stones. Starring Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, Jamie Foxx, LL Cool J, Matthew Modine, Charlton Heston, Anna Margaret, again, uh, Aaron Eckhart, and John C. McGinley. Just hitter after hitter. Uh, and let us not forget that this is an Oliver Stone movie, and we've talked about a couple Oliver Stone movies, and this guy just was, I, like... I'm trying to go back in his catalog and think of something I don't like, Steve. Because, I mean, this motherfucker directed True Romance. Romance. He di- I mean, he directed multiple Tarantino scripts, which I all I love in general. Natural Born Killers also. He um, wrote Scarface. JFK he made. Yeah, fucking he wrote Scarface. Uh, this guy's a bad. On the 4th of July. And this movie has a lot of his... I think he made Platoon, too. He made a fucking Vietnam movie. I think it was Platoon. Yeah. Which is probably how you got John C. McGinley, like how he's, because that dude was in that movie. He's, he's using a lot of his actors in this, but this was a good movie, dude. I Fuck the bullshit. I wanted to say some negative things about it because of the length. I think it's a little slow at times, but uh, man, it's, it's sort of, uh, I didn't appreciate it as much when I was younger. And now like seeing how the NFL is, I think this movie is insanely accurate back then and even more so now for sure yeah i mean knowing what we know now and the dangers of cte and you know we mentioned him earlier lawrence taylor his character he's basically playing himself and uh, his character's name is shark shark levey luther shark levey and he's the battle scarred veteran who just wants to stay in the game for at least one more yeah i still got some dog in me coach and this is sort of like this is like the behind the scenes you know they they made a movie or a show kind of about like this kind of like tone too uh with omar gooding i think called ballers or something i forget what it was called but um 
it just kind of shows you like the not so pleasant aspects of the behind the scenes of this. So like Al Pacino's the aging uh, coach legend. Um, he's got this like team that's got a quarterback, old quarterback that's like a Brett Favre type or a Steve, you know, like a an old dog that everyone it's, loves. It's kind of like the, when Brett Favre got older. It's like this Aaron Rodgers guy. Here he comes. Yeah. And basically, this movie is about like the changing of the guard and how football is changing and how positions change and like the politics of football and what was good, like every aspect from like the, the the coordinators to the marketing to the ownership to the coaching to the players and like the little political shit that they get into. Like um, LL Cool J plays the the one running back, and his whole thing is getting touches, so he gets a certain amount of. Uh, like yardage and touchdowns, so he gets a bonus. You know, like a lot of these players are like, I got to get this bonus. Um, but there's like everybody kills it. The one, the only thing I don't like about this movie, Steve, is Cameron Diaz. I don't think she's great in this movie. <laughs> well, I, I will say, like, this is Cameron Diaz before she turned into an Aztec sandal. This is, uh, you know, get it while the gets <laughs> good because that that shelf life is uh, it's ticking. She's starting to look like her character in uh, being John Malkovich. And uh, <laughs> and uh, that's hilarious. I forgot she was in that shit. Frizzy ass hair. Uh, but like the football, like a stone gets some football legends. Jim Brown's in this. He's an assistant coach amazing in this and he's an actor anyway so it's not really that far-fetched um but like lt kills it even though he is playing himself he does a great job and i mean how can you not mention uh jamie fox in this movie this wasn't the th- first thing i clocked him in but this is sort of i don't know if you remember like they were bringing him out as like a comedic actor so he's in like held up he was in some of those like low budget call. exactly and then uh he started getting rolled out and this was a perfect vehicle you know he's he gets to yeah. sort of uh play like this um prima donna backup quarterback guy and the one thing that i love about this movie that i wanted to make a point to bring up is that you know we see the rise and fall and like this whole arc of willie beeman that's who jamie fox plays and willie beeman's like a third string quarterback who gets brought in he's, they weren't expecting it and he goes through some rough parts, but he's good. Yeah. But he's cocky, and he's like taking over for a vet, and there's all this stuff happening. But what I never realized is that Steve, the whole arc of this guy's, the dramatic arc that he's experiencing, it's not over a season, it's over like three games. And he starts, yeah. he does okay, you know, gets a Metrics commercial of, of Steam and Willie Beam and music video, and it's, Within like four weeks, like he didn't even really do some shit, Steve. <laughs> My name He's is Willie. Willie beaming, and all the ladies be creaming <laughs> on a Metrics commercial, Jamie. What the fuck? On the cover of Sporting News, fucking Sports Illustrated. After a couple games. Yeah, I mean, he's he takes the world by storm. But, I mean, honestly, like, if you watch NFL now, this is kind of what happens. You know, a guy goes out, and then all of a sudden some guy comes in, like that Brock Purdy guy that came in for the 49ers. He does a couple of good things, and people are like, do we need to take him out the starter and fucking put this guy in? And, like, it, like the news cycle and, like, the intensity of these storylines, it's so, like, 
quick. It's buzzworthy. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like the Asian guy that was playing in the NBA, uh, Jeremy Lin. Like, he had a couple games where he was just, like, amazing people. And this is like, oh, my God. He was on the cover of a lot of shit. His, his story was featured in all these articles and stuff, man. And, you know, here we are. Like, you almost forgot about him. I mean, for every, like, Patrick Mahomes and shit, there's a Gardner Minshew. Some guy that's, like... You know, he he threw a nice pass. He won a game that you didn't expect some guy to win off the bench. But it's just like crazy. You know, your team is very you're you're a fan of a team that's in the news a lot. They the news loves to cover the Cowboys. And I feel like you guys experience this all the time. Whether it's Dak Prescott having like some he says like some shit and they're like, "Well, what does this mean?" Cuz fucking Dak he's going to get traded next year. And it's like, "Wait, what the fuck?" old racist photo of your owner (laughs) yeah exactly exactly like all that shit and uh this movie does a great job at that and i i think like to me my favorite stuff is like uh, of course you love al pacino in this movie but i think he does a great like he's good at like the role he plays this like tired coach that's sort of like most of this movie it seems like he's sort of like confused by the world that's going on around him almost like he's like too caught up in the, the the lights of it all he's like used to like a bygone era and shit and that does yeah. change but he does a great job at that and he does great coaching speeches he's got a bunch of those and um even when he's just like like being sort of sad and like um partying with uh cameron diaz's mom you know and shit and you can tell he's just like sad like all his friends are dead and stuff like there's just something great about him in this movie that's not really he's not like you know scar facing it up i mean he's yelling a lot and shit but uh i think he killed this you know and uh i believe that's ann margaret yeah it is uh, yeah man so we we got a two we had two twofers and uh cameron diaz she's the daughter of the owner and uh she's chewing al pacino out throughout this movie telling him what to do like you know we call the shots uh, we might have to let go of the shark LeVay we might have to let go of Randy Quaid's quarterback character because I mean hey man this is a young man's game and we might have to let go of you at the end of the season how about that fly shit yeah and her dad who is dead was like this guy's best friend and like sort of brought they had all this success together um and it also is weird that, you know, there's a football movie and they do everything to like make it like the NFL, but they can't use the names. They mentioned the Dolphins a couple of times in this. So this is in some world where this is like a league that exists aside from like this. This is the XFL, basically. Something like that, I guess. It's yeah, it's not completely fictional. Yeah, uh, they want to make it seem like these guys are in the league and uh, we, we see the, the rise and the downfall of Willie Beeman. You know, he gets that, that gust of fame and, you know, the people are feeling him. He's in the commercials, all in the videos, singing and dancing. And, uh, you know, his girlfriend, who's played by Leela Rashawn, her, her name is Vanessa, and she sees the shit up close. She's like, dude, you're already doing it. You're, you're like, not the same person anymore. Like, like, why don't you, like, go fuck one of those groupies? And his attitude, he's like, bitch, I don't need you. Those, are, those weren't his exact words, but that was the attitude. It's like, you fat bitch. Fuck, I, like, maybe I will fuck one of these $1,000 whores. 
And she goes for like, she really gets real personal too. She's like, you can't even fucking read, so you can't even understand the fucking playbook, you dumb motherfucker. And he's like, well, bitch, get the fuck out. You know, and they have that fight and he kicks her out. And he very much, like to me, when I was watching this, you know who this reminded me of? Antonio Brown. I was like, he gets, he gets like success. He's great. I mean, he had more extended success than Willie Beeman did. But then, like, what I was thinking was hilarious and kind of goes into what I was saying about this quick arc. They bring him on a local Miami TV show and he starts, like, talking shit about the owners and his team. And, like, like, he doesn't give a fuck about anybody. I mean, in this movie, Willie Beeman will walk up. Like, he, like, straight tells LL Cool J he's a washed up bitch and, like, shit. Like, you know, it's like a lot of that stuff where he has, like, he's arrogant. And that's kind of what I saw. Like, he seems to do like that. He went crazy like Antonio Brown did and started just like, it's like no one gives a fuck. No one wants to hear this shit, man. Like, you can't be saying this shit if you want to have an NFL career, bro. <laughs> like, Being a toxic teammate, man. Yeah, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, they actually had a real beef. Jamie. Yeah, Fox they got in a fight. Hell yeah. I mean, Jamie Foxx yeah. talked about it in that one stand-up special that he was doing. I might need security. Yeah. yeah man. I mean... They they've made good now. They're friends now because it's like what's it's L Cool J. You you ain't got no choice. Like shit. Yeah, every time you see each other, because you're you're both actors, you might cross paths. So you you better make nice. Well, and I mean it. Kind of, I mean it was great for Oliver Stone because in this movie, like the two characters those guys play don't like each other very much for most of the movie. Like they get their heads together at the end, but for most of it, it's like. LL Cool J's pissed at Willie Beeman because he's not getting touches and like the thing about him getting his numbers and Willie Beeman's talking shit about him and like changing plays and stuff and uh yeah dude that's that is hilarious though because I remember in the stand-up uh, Jamie Foxx was like yo man you realize that this is just like I'm not this guy this is words written on a page man like this ain't real but apparently LL Cool J was just really method with it Steve I guess and you know he's he's letting it get to his head because even Lawrence Taylor, the shark, invites him over to his house. Man, They're like man, it's gonna be bitches, it's gonna be blow, man. Michael Irvin's gonna be there. Shit, he's supplying it all, the bitches and the blow. <laughs> and so Jamie Fox or Steaming Willie Beeman, he comes to the party and he's talking shit on the host. The motherfucker invited you into his home. He's like, man, I don't give a fuck about that washed up motherfucker. Oh, concussion having ass. And then like word gets back because you know LL's character doesn't like him. So he, he goes back and tells Lawrence, and he's just like, look, man, he said this, that, and the third. He's like, oh, really? That's how you feel? That's how you feel? Well, shit, fuck your car. And that's when he puts the saw, the chainsaw, to his truck, man. It's like, well, shit, how am I going to get home? Motherfucker, you figure it out. Steaming. LL's doing some blow ski off a stripper. That's great. And uh, we, we let us not forget, uh, Jesse Spano herself is in this movie as a prostitute that's uh, gold digging on um, Al Pacino on Tony D'Amato that's his character and uh, dude I mean Elizabeth Berkley we can say a lot of things but that bitch is sexy as fuck in this movie like yeah, she still man. is bro god I, I mean in the, they don't has it, there's some camera angles here I mean they don't this is just some se- this is some nice 90s sexiness I love this I was so excited so excited I'm fucking a hooker that looks like Jesse Spano. Take me to Bayside. (laughs) Oh, she tickles him. It's so sweet, Steve. She's like one of those like nice hookers, you know? (laughs) She's she's putting all the money away to go to college. 
and uh, you know, Willie, he gets checked. You know, he gets a reality check because motherfuckers stop blocking for him. He's getting racked. He's getting sacked. I think he got sacked about six times in one game. Oh, that game, but that whole sequence, though, in the rain, that is one of the coolest looking sequences in film, period. It's just so, like, uh, stylized. It's cool. And, uh, like, now now that he's slapped back into reality, man, he, he comes across Vanessa his ex he sees her at a at a, some popping nightclub and he chases her down and she's not trying to hear any of that shit because he's too volatile for her and she's a simple girl who likes simple things despite going to a popping ass miami nightclub that professional athletes attend i don't think that's simple that's what kendra said we were watching it she's like she's at the same fucking party he is what the fuck that's not what simple simple girls stay the fuck at home and, and watch yeah, man, get a fucking DiGiorno and watch some Netflix. We don't go to a Miami Coke party and fucking to have dinner. Like, she seemed like she was going out on a date to have dinner with that guy. Too. I was like, what kind of, what is the disparity here? Like, there's some guys doing blow off strippers titties in a bathroom and they're about to have a nice lunch or dinner someplace. Like, I don't know. I don't want that to happen at the Denny's. You know, I don't want to be like shown up like that if I'm out on a date, see, but Jamie Foxx gets, he gets her in that bathroom and he, he charms his way. He's like, can I call you? She's like, yeah, you can call me. Fuck that guy. He wants that old thing back. And one thing that's been like, basically Willie Beeman got his shot because um, Randy Quaid's character, Cap Rooney, who is this Brett Favre legendary quarterback gets knocked out and he gets knocked out bad. Um, the doctors uh, sort of, fluff shit sometimes and like uh that's where james woods comes in is playing like the most scummiest of doctors he's willing to Dr. just like Mandrake. do whatever exactly and uh you know while jamie Fo- uh willie beeman's sort of coming up the politics behind the scenes is that cameron diaz's character christina pagniacci doesn't want the old dog to come back she wants this new exciting team because she's trying to pull all these strings behind and maybe get a new stadium or move the team. So, you know, eventually Randy Quaid is able to start playing again. And that's what everyone wants because Willie Beeman's been like sort of blackballing himself and like saying all this crazy shit. So like they get him back and they, you know, go back to this old guy and he's like got shell shock. He even tells uh, Al Pacino, he's like, dude, I don't, I don't think I can do this shit anymore. And Al Pacino sort of like, uh, I guess like guilt tripped him. He's like, dude, come on, man. Like, you're going to make me fight. Like, I got nothing else. Like, I'm your guy. Like, please, like, don't do this. So he gets him to play. So Willie Beeman's forced to sort of go back on the bench. And that this is where he sort of gets his, he, he sucks it up. He like becomes the teammate everybody wants and proves and like sees that what he needs to be to be like a leader be a quarterback and uh we get all the way to the end like they make it to the playoffs they get in the first game randy quaid's playing he gets he plays his lights out gets knocked out in halftime and willie beeman takes over and uh history is made steve there's a new number one qb in the league after that game and it's a great the end the like sort of climax of this movie and this whole movie in general like the football action part of it what they show and how they show it insane it's great yeah and uh 
I mean, I'd be remiss to not mention Jim Brown. Uh, he's like his his lines are some of the best. Um, one of my favorite is, "I don't get strokes, I give strokes." We make this shit real fucking simple for you, motherfucker. You dumb motherfuckers. That's my boy. That's my sperm sucker. Is it? Did he call him a sperm sucker? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he'll say all that crazy shit and then like at the end when he's sitting there talking to tony and they're being all solemn and shit talking about the old days he's like man that's why i want to go back to high school man because the shit's pure man it's just like this like heartfelt so i was like damn jim yeah, you're Look scaring me. the fuck out of them kids man <laughs> should not be coaching no damn team yeah players. saying the same shit you're saying to lt <laughs> like man fuck it fuck it blah, blah, blah. <laughs> cortisone shit doc please that's the other great thing man lt's whole thing in this movie is he has so much brain damage that if he gets hit one more time it could end his life steve we don't know uh and he begs to let them like be able to play in that last playoff game and everything just like he gets everything he needs and then like that last hit steve I don't know what happens other than he like I don't think he's paralyzed but something neurological happens there yeah because he laid that motherfucker out man and uh but he was glad that he he didn't make the fucking play and did I stop him coach yeah, <laughs> yeah you stopped him man go go take those brain cells back to the hospital bud with that one fucking dangling earring fucking kills me dude with the fuck and the gold teeth the gold teeth are the because i mean it gives them a lisp and it just looks fantastic i love it yeah. dude I, I wish i could find this clip on youtube it's uh lawrence taylor being interviewed this is around the time he had his drug deals or whatever and he I, he said something along the lines of man you find a person who i smoke crack or did drugs with and i, I kiss their white ass black ass uh whatever ass like I was like, oh my god, I could not find it on fucking YouTube. It's hilarious. Do you know who Joey Diaz is? Yeah, of course. Like, he had a, like on one of those like his many stories he had in the nineties, he was like in a bathroom doing cocaine. He's like, Lawrence Taylor's fucking big ass came in, fucking scared the shit out of me and was doing he like I think he sold him coke. Lawrence Taylor sold him coke or he No, he sold Lawrence Taylor Coke in the fucking nineties oh. in some way, which makes sense, man. He was you know, he's it. Isn't he in Waterboy? Like, don't smoke crack. Yep. <laughs> or he either said that or don't do drugs or something. Yeah, some shit um, like that. But in the closing credits, man, we see that uh, Coach D'Amato, uh, Al Pacino's character, he's actually going to another team. He's not retiring. And this kind of pump fakes Cameron Diaz because she's thinking this is like a retirement uh, announcement. Uh, he's no longer going to be with us. He's going to head out to the pasture with blah, 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 AARP. But he's like, no, I'm actually going to another team. Uh, the show's not over yet. And I'm taking Steam and Willie Beeman with me. And, I, did, you know, I did my first action, sign Willie Beeman. I love the guy after he leaves. It's like, <sighs> hurts. <laughs> and even, no dude, even a guy who's in this movie like five seconds is a top-notch superstar. Charlton Heston plays the NBA or the NFL commissioner in this shit. It's like, yeah. did, was there any, was there any extras? Was there Johnny fucking Unitas. <laughs> Johnny Unitas was one of the coaches. Yeah, I was gonna. I knew like um, <clears throat> they show a couple of guys. Dick Butkus is one of the coaches too. 
pick Buckus, uh, Barry Switzer. That's yeah. And uh, Oliver Stone actually plays one of like the color commentary guy. The He's commentary. like Barry Switzer's partner on the telecast. Even but I think he was in this movie. Who is? T.O. Terrell Owens. Hell yeah, he is. Hell yeah, he is. I noticed that too. I didn't know it. I saw it last night. I was like, damn, I didn't know that shit. They show his face and everything. It's on the jersey. Hell yeah. But uh, I mean, this is two thumbs up. Like there is no, I got, the only negative thing I have to say about this movie is you could have cut 30 minutes out of it and it would have been a little bit more uh, tight. But that being said, you know, I, I'm not going to hate on it. I really enjoyed watching it again. So shout out. Uh, the rallying speech that Al Pacino had before the playoff game, this was based on the real life speech by Marty Schottenheimer that he gave to the Browns during the AFC championship game in 89, which they lost to John Elway uh, one of the many times. And, I was going to uh, ask like if this was based off of any real, like if, Oliver Stone or whoever wrote this. I'm assuming Oliver Stone wrote this movie. So, like, did he ever indicate, oh, you know, like, I hung out with Jerry Jones or... That's who I sort of assumed maybe he was modeling, like, some of this, like, just some of the antics and shit like that. It seemed like very 90s cowboys. Bits and pieces, man. And uh, the the house that Dennis Quaid's character, Cap Rooney, is in is Dan Marino's real house. Yeah, he definitely, I mean, he looks like Dan Marino, <laughs> you know, but the, the, all the houses, I was just like, man, Al Pacino's house in this, I was like, this looks like something that the ladies man would have, but it's not on a boat. It just is like some like swing pad. It looks like just a fuck palace. And it is because he's fucking Spano. And, and did you know the original choice for uh, Al Pacino's Tony D'Amato character? I fuck. I think I actually read this, but I don't recall who it was. Who is it? Clint Eastwood. And oh he was God. only going to take the role if they let him direct it, too. And I'm so glad they didn't let him direct, and uh, i.e. not being in this fucking movie, because I'm sure it would have sucked. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you could pick a lot of guys to try to pull this off, but... I don't know. Al Pacino nailed it. He just is a fucking... He's, like I said, this is one of those roles where it might not be exactly what you would expect from him, but he eats up that, he chews it up when he needs to. And that last speech he gives, I even I was getting fucking fired up. I was like, damn, I need to go do some fucking push-ups or something so I can look like that crazy roid freak guy that throws that alligator into the shower in the middle of the movie. That guy? Yeah. Yikes. Fucking weirdo. And, uh... Unbelievable, man. But uh, Sean Combs was initially cast as Willie Beeman. And uh, I guess due to scheduling conflicts with uh, him touring. And they also said when they they tried him out, they could tell that he he didn't have an athletic bone in his body. Whereas Jamie Foxx, who actually played high school football, it was more natural. Um, Sean Combs, what were y'all thinking? Like, I'd love to see him throw a football. Uh, Get out of here, jazz hands. He was going to diddy bop down the field. See, that's... He's a mobile quarterback. He throws like a fairy! (laughs) And uh, one last fun fact. Uh, It's a coincidence that Al Pacino and Jamie Foxx won their first Oscar in a year uh, that they were nominated in two acting categories. Uh, Not only that, but they both won their lead performances uh, for blind characters. 
Oh, son of a bitch. Crazy shit. I'm fucking Jesse Spano, and Jamie Foxx is trying to finger fuck something. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Who else could apply? It's crazy when you watch a movie, and it's like, you can always sort of pick people to, like be an alternate i can't really think anybody else you know like off the top of my head at the time this is just like perfect casting all around man um it's, it's just flooded with stars dude um i mean for, you got rappers you got an mtv vj you got a stand-up comedian uh fucking scarface god damn man i mean even aaron eckhart again like these guys who were like c-level parts in this movie are huge stars i mean aaron eckhart was fucking two-faced and goddamn batman for god's sake uh and speaking of batman uh also in 99 man on the moon premiered theaters the life and career of legendary comedian andy kaufman uh starring jim carrey dan devito courtney love and paul giamatti a fucking pig vomit uh directed by milos foreman and uh danny devito and jim carrey both played batman villains fun fact Damn, you got some good, like, little Snapple facts in here. I like this. But yeah, this movie, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see what you think of it. Uh, I will forever give appreciation to Jim Carrey because he did this. He, like, nailed this. This is the... He perfectly captured this guy, Andy Kaufman. But the movie, I will never... I'm never going to watch it again. It's boring fucking boring as shit well you know the story like i i knew the story before the movie came out man i i think they had a e true hollywood story on the man and uh like andy kaufman's life has been documented in several ways but um you know he, he was very method as it's been reported they even had a documentary on how deep into the fucking kaufman rabbit hole he went man and uh he actually requested that everyone on set refer to him as andy kaufman I don't, you know, Steve, as much as I respect that kind of thing, I don't understand it. I gotta, I gotta feel like if you're a grip on the set and you're just like trying to move some shit and you look over and you're like, hey, Jim, can you move? He's like, tell me, Andy. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, um, like, one of the things I didn't like when I watched the movie years after it was released, uh, David Letterman didn't want to play ball. He refused to use prosthetics and it showed, it stood out because they wanted to replicate everything from the time it happened originally, man. Yeah. And I'm watching this and I'm like, dude, this looks like David Letterman now PM. Like, <laughs> you, you, you guys didn't want to go through the route of just throwing a little bit of makeup to make them look younger, give them that uh, late night fucking NBC fucking vibe, no. But yeah, it was David Letterman's uh, refusal to do so because as you know, we all know he's not a movie guy. He hasn't been in too many. I mean, Lawler did it. The King did it. You're you're better than royalty, Dave. I mean, I respect you, but that's weird. But yeah, I mean, I, the thing I don't like about this movie, Steve, Courtney Love. I don't like that. that. I don't enjoy that. And it's just a it's a slow burn. And you're probably right. I think more of the boredom for me is that you just know this. Like we, people our age just sort of were fed this. We were wrestling fans too, so we sort of got a portion of the story many times over because we watched Jerry the King Lawler knew about him but you know again it's one of the one of the best biographical portrayals of somebody I've ever seen like you know you said about Ray that was great 
this. I mean, he nailed it. It's just one of those movies where, you know, I'm not the biggest Andy Kaufman fan. I appreciate the weirdness that he brought to the world and what he was willing to do. But yeah, I just, you know, other than this being historically great acting portrayal, just that is what it is, you know? Well, I mean, maybe you're not giving him his flowers like you, like it should because he was before our time. I think we were, before we were even born, I think he had passed, man. But like, you know, I watched Taxi back in the day and the man had an interesting story because I feel like he's the godfather of a certain realm of stand-up comedy. Uh, he wasn't like your typical stand-up comedian that went up and told jokes and made people laugh like a Carlin, a Pryor, um, or even a Robin Williams. He, I feel, is like before, he, he is the precursor to Sasha Baron Cohen where like he kind of like has this a lot of gray area is he is he being real is are we being trolled um i'm trying to think of another example uh eric andre maybe uh, yeah i think tim and eric also it's just like the commitment to something weird you know it's like this isn't supposed like he would get on stage and re like do that thing where he would it would just be him reading and then he'd be like you know and it was just these, it was the weirdness. He was just such a singularly bizarre guy who not only did those weird things, but he would be willing to take it to the point where people were, I mean, they wanted to like rip him apart, basically. You know? It showed courage, man. And I mean, even in this movie, Jim Carrey pissed off Jerry Lawler, just like originally Andy Kaufman did. Uh, that was yeah. stick. But Jim Carrey actually got slapped when they when they redid that on the David Letterman show. They say he slapped him harder than he ever hit Andy Kaufman. Because That's Jim great. Carrey, he was just that obnoxious, man. That's awesome. See, now I like it. Now I need to go back and watch it, Steve. And Jerry Lawler offered to do this movie because initially Disco Inferno was going to play Jerry Lawler's role. And Jerry stepped in like, whoa, 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 hold the fuck up. No, hold the horn. No, 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 no. Disco I'll Inferno? Shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you, Jerry. Alex Wright was like, don't go. <laughs> I have a, we have a tag key. team match. We can't. Now, uh, any Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Lane Eggs? Well, we talked about it, Steve, I think, but maybe we weren't on, uh, we're, we weren't recording, but I watched that Cleo, uh, Who Is Miss Cleo documentary on HBO, and for 90s aficionados, 90s fans, not only is it a look back at something that was a huge thing in the 90s, the, the Psychic Hotline, uh, Psychic Friends Network, and Miss Cleo, but I love that they had 90s celebrities, um... Raven Simone and the chick from Mad TV. Um, Deborah. Deborah. Deborah Wilson. Deborah Wilson. Looking kind of crazy, but kind of hot too, Steve. There's something. I mean, I don't want to be coarse, but there's something about her where I'm intrigued. She's rocking that baldness. Yeah, she is. And she's very. she seems very emotional though. Like she's very almost emotional about this. And I, maybe it's because she feels bad about like making fun of her on the mad TV a little bit, but yeah, it was cool, man. It was a cool documentary and it sort of shed some light on some stuff that I wasn't aware of. And I think it makes Miss Cleo like rest in peace, by the way. Um, it makes that woman sort of, I think it really paints her in a great light, 
Yeah, because you know? it shows that she was a genuine soul, man. Like she just happened to be caught up in the the, the bullshit greed of what was it, the PRN hotline? And, and also, like the one thing I didn't understand, and maybe you know whatever it was, but um, you know, it she was just a she had she wasn't she had blood lineage from like to Jamaica, but she wasn't Jamaican. So she wasn't born there. She was putting on some affectation with this Jamaican accent. But that being said, like to me, when I was starting the documentary, I was like, oh, man, we're going to find out some juicy shit about that chick. Like there's some dirt she was doing or like she's going to be on here, like in a restaurant, like get the fuck away from me without, you know, we're going to find some like sinister shit. But she was just like, she figured out a hustle. Somebody made her sort of like elevated her to be like the face of this brand um, greedily. Like they made a lot of money off this lady. But ultimately, whether or not she knew what was going on, she seemed just like a sweet lady that whether or not you believe in that stuff, like the tarot cards, you know, it, it, it can bring people comfort just to like talk to somebody and get, even if it's bullshit. And I don't think she was trying to hurt anybody or like bilk anybody really. That's that's the one thing I got out of it. Whereas like she really, you know, I don't think she knew exactly how much money was being made because she wasn't making it. And yeah. to me, that's the only thing that I would have thought was probably sinister on her. And so it was cool. But man. we all thought she did at the time. We thought oh, she fuck was breaking yeah. in dough. And that, I mean, that's why Deborah Wilson, like she was talking about like sort of maybe how she regretted it. And like, yeah. you know, her take on how she portrayed her and stuff and it you can tell that and we all believe that and even she did like you thought she was literally like the face of this company making all this fucking money and she was very much not that it's always somebody behind the scenes mm. Mm. what about you bud uh well uh i gotta say man we're taking a break that needs to be said uh we're gonna this is our last show of the year our 100th episode um so yeah we'll we'll revisit and we will return uh in january for season three my god man this shit's only gonna get better man I th- we've been talking about a lot of stuff and i think now you know we're just two normal guys that are doing this everyone like we don't have a lot of money and we're just trying to like do this on our own uh with no budget and uh I think like we're settling into something here that I just, if nothing else, really enjoy doing, but I definitely am committed to just keep doing it. And I think this next year, we're really going to, as many upgrades as we've already had, Steve, I think we're going to continue to do that. And I'm looking forward to it. Same here, buddy. Um, Please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Tell your sister, ain't no other cats got love for me. Ain't no cats gonna bust slugs for me. Ain't no cats gonna shed blood for me, but my dogs is gonna be a thug for me. Come on. Please listen to Over the Culture every Sunday. Crushgasm with Kendra every Wednesday. B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve. And don't worry, B-Movie with Amanda and Wade. This is Steve G and Mad G with Happy Happened in the 90s. Episode 100. Did he say funky butt loving?